Hello and welcome back to the Big C Church podcast. I am your host, Dr. Angie Ward. Uh, on the Big C Church podcast, we aim to have conversations, uh, challenging conversations to help better the body. And so I'm so glad you've joined us today. Uh, we are in a series on pastors and power. And today we are going to be talking about the lure of celebrity. And my guest is a longtime dear friend of mine, Dr. Pastor Reverend Professor Rick Dunn, <laughs> mostly my friend. So um, Rick is the lead pastor at Fellowship Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. He's been there uh, for a very long time. But he's also um, the host, a co-host of a podcast called Life Reframed. He's an author of Shaping the Spiritual Life of Students, a couple other books, um, and founder and leader of Re-Leadership. But I've known him since he was a professor of mine in college, and he performed our my wedding from Dave. So Rick, it's good to see you coming from Knoxville and me in Denver. Absolutely. Well, I wish I was there with you in Denver, but let's lead with I'm your friend. Andy. Yeah, exactly. All the things you just said, I know. that's kind of my favorite. Yeah, so. mine too. <laughs> mine too, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell tell me a little about, about, first of all, your context. You're at Fellowship Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, but how long have you been there? How big it is? You know, kind of your role there. Right. Yeah, so I left the Trinity Seminary College context as a professor uh, in 97, and which has been 26 years. Wow. And uh, the first part of my journey here was not as lead pastor. The first five years, I was in multiple different transitional kinds of roles. I was in transition. The church was trying to figure itself out. So I always say I never quite knew what my job was, but I tried to be faithful. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and then I wound up as the interim lead pastor and then the lead pastor of a, a quite unique moment in the life of a church transition from founder, uh, extraordinarily externally successful, extraordinarily internally conflicted. Yeah. And uh, so that was quite the, the moment to step into at 41. Wow. And tell me about um, Fellowship Church now. Like how big yeah. is it? I know it's it's in Knoxville, so you've got a lot of UT students, faculty, staff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never, so I actually don't know what the attendance is because I never look. I don't have any idea what the membership is. That'll factor into our conversation. Yeah. But if you'll take all the kids and students and stuff who are active there, in a, you know, on a Sunday morning or Sunday night, kind of the connection, it's probably 4,000 a week, wow. 3,500 to 4,000. Um, and one of the things that we've done to try to steward that is plant other churches. So in the last decade, prior to my becoming on staff, there were two church plants. But in the mm -hmm. last decade, we planted six churches. Uh, and then now we are launching uh, those churches into their own church planting network. Oh, the whole wow. design. We're always a, uh, I'm a create and vacate person. Create it, find the right leaders and send it out. So we're sent, we've sent out a church planting network. Uh, from Fellowship Church, and we're also in a major transition as I'll be, I kind of fired myself yeah. recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I thought my time was up, so I fired myself. But uh, in a really healthy, good way, we're making some transitions. And so uh, I don't know if that's relevant to this conversation, but I, I'm definitely very reflective about what 21 years of leadership have been like, because it's, it's a wonderful moment uh, to get to lead the church. It's a wonderful moment to give it away to. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you said you're a, what did you say, something and vacate? What was the words you used? Create, Create and, and vacate. vacate. Create and vacate. That's what I did. Yeah. But even in that, you and I have talked about, and, you know, we've known each other a long time and walked together through a lot of stuff. You've talked about 
just, I mean, like you're aware of, oh, and it also helps that your, your wife is a is fantastic therapist. So you've, you've yes. got to work on this stuff all the time, but like you, we've talked about the lure of celebrity and what it does to you. Um, and, and kind of just the temptations and the reality that you are like this, you are a, a, a well-known public figure at this point in Knoxville and with community right. leaders and among your congregation, you're, you're the guy, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. So talk about like what that journey has been like. How have you realized that? Were there certain moments where you went, oh my goodness, I have some power or authority or there's danger here. Just whatever you want to share. Well, you know, I'm a metaphor person. So I'm going to tell you a story that will help. I'd expect understand. nothing less. <laughs> That's right. So uh, you all, you know, our Teresa and I's dearest friends, Stephen and Carol Hines, who live in the Chicago area. And Stephen is a therapist and he's also a, a um, equine therapist. Mm. And so he utilizes the context of horses and experiences with horses to do part of his therapy. So I had him down when I first became lead pastor, I had him come down to um, Knoxville and work with my staff with horses. So there are multiple wow. exercises, but one was we stood at the at the bottom of this kind of this grassy knoll. We were standing at the bottom as a staff. There's like, at the time, only maybe 10 or 12 of us pastors. And at the top of the hill was a huge, beautiful brown chestnut horse. And he said, and he told us, I'm going to send this horse down the hill and I need you to turn it. Mm. And, but you can't, obviously you don't want to stand in front of it or touch it. You just have to turn it. So the horse comes galloping full blood. I mean, the ears are up, the tail's up. I mean, it's just... This horse is in full glory coming down that hill. And we all run out and go, turn, 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 go, go, you know. And the, the horse literally treated us as if we were meaningless gnats to swish away <laughs> with his tail. There was no turn, right? None. Yeah. So he came over, Stephen came over, and he said, well, what, what that just happened? And we kind of talked about it. And he said, well, who's the leader? And I said, well, I am, you know, rhetorical. But yeah. he said, then get bigger. Then you need to get bigger. Mm. So the horse goes up the top of the hill, same scenario, runs galloping down. And then I just charge with full assertiveness, like body, soul, mind, spirit, voice, turn now. And literally the, the, the horse went. Wow. And it was the first moment I understood the power of leadership. Mm. And it, I say this about leadership, it entices and it scares me. At the same time, it entices me and it scares me. And I grew up, you know, my background, I didn't grow up around leaders. I didn't grow up around leadership. I didn't kind of know even how the thing worked. I didn't even know how to get bigger. But it's pretty wild what happens when a leader gets bigger. And if you get a bigger leader in a bigger context and leader keeps getting bigger, then there's a bunch of questions about stewardship, power, authority, role and what's what is big in the kingdom when jesus said hey you see the gentiles over there don't do that you see the pharisees over there don't do that well both of them were trying to make themselves bigger in different ways so therein is the tension that i experience in being a public leader at least in my little pond yeah yeah so what are the talk about what are the enticements good and yeah. bad yeah, yeah yeah sure well um so, you know, uh, there have been times where I've thought of like Homer's Odyssey and just strapped myself to, <laughs> to yeah. the mast because 
you stand in front of a group of people and I don't care how much you know it is the Spirit of God doing it. When you watch more than a thousand people at a time, multiple thousands of people turn with your voice. Mm. When you see people uh, come to you and like I had one person, uh, I told, I was told this story. They were in a, uh, in a small group and she didn't have a dad. And so they're going around the group and saying, well, who, who's either your, what's your dad like or your father figure? She's like, I don't really have a dad, but my father figure is Rick Dunn. Mm-hmm. I've never met him. Mm-hmm. I've never met him. He's my father figure. Like, wow. you start multiplying that, Angie. And like, if I walk into a public place or I walk into a conversation at the church, it immediately stops and turns to me. Yeah. Unless, if you know my American culture, unless someone more important with more money comes in than me and then it turns to them. Yeah. So the seduction is... I'm a powerful person. Yeah. People respond to me as a powerful person. The bigger I get, the more response I get. The more uh, people attribute to me certain qualities. And I want to feel powerful. And the seduction for me is I didn't grow up feeling powerful. Mm-hmm. I've struggled with what strength means and what masculinity means. I don't buy the cultural norms, but I also don't like kind of my background on this either. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to figure that out. And then here's all of a sudden, like the, the drug, uh, it's so much adrenaline in your body. You can literally feel your body responding to people, responding to your leadership. Mm-hmm. And if in the moment you think I, you're, you're, it's, t- I mean, you are in so, you are so vulnerable and in so much danger. The, the healthy side of that would be, it would not have been wise for Joseph to say to Pharaoh, Hey, I don't really want to be second command. I feel like that's being arrogant. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that doesn't work. Like you, you, this is actually what you're called to do. Yeah. And it's a pretty powerful position. I always tell people, by the way, they say, I don't know if I can work for a secular person. I need to work for a Christian. I'm like, uh, Joseph's boss thought he was God. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So, but Joseph is exalted and he was told he was yeah. going to be exalted, Yeah. but it came from a different place for him. And, and so I just, I just, um, every part of my fiber of my being that thinks you're going to find satisfaction, fulfillment, and power in being that powerful person is at risk. Every part of me is like, I just control uh, obedience and faithfulness. He determines outcome and I'll steward what he gives me. But only as Paul said, let us, pe- let us, let people regard us as this second Corinthians four, one and two as stewards of the gospel and servants of Christ above all it is required of servants to be, uh, faithful. And that word servant is under row or the guy on the bottom row of the two story boat, which is not a good place to be. You got to remember that every day I'm a, I'm a bottom rower in the kingdom. It just happens to get a lot of attention. So, I mean, you're talking now toward the end of your time leading fellowship. I mean, were you like this one 20 years ago? What, 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 well, how, what brought you to this? Yeah. I mean, now you've, you've reckoned with it. You've come to terms with the power, all that kind of thing. But how'd you get to this? Well, 
I, I think it probably helped Joseph to be thrown in a pit in a prison. Yeah. And what was most helpful for me was when I became the lead pastor, that was not my experience. When I became the lead pastor, 60% of the people left, half the elders and two-thirds of the staff. So I didn't start out with a particularly... You weren't so exalted um, at the start. Uh, no, I yeah. was not exalted. Yeah. I, was, I was being burned in effigy, not exalted. Um. I remember like I would go into the back parking lot and just cry mm. because I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm. Uh, and I had to go preach to a dwindling congregation that was skeptical and distrustful. And the organizational doubt had reached like, you know, epidemic levels. And, um, and I prayed once and I, I said, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? Cause this, I don't want to do this anymore. And you haven't released me from this. And these people don't, want me. Mm. They want their other, they want their guy back. They don't want me. And the Lord is really clear to me. He said, um, love them. Yeah. Just love them. And then I talked to Brendan Manning and I told Brendan Manning, I said, Hey, these people treat me like I'm their stepfather and they want dad back. And he said, you are their stepfather, but stop acting like it. What do you mean by that? Or what'd you take him to mean by that? Just steward the role of, of, what you're called to do, shepherd the people, yeah. love the people, tell them the truth, love them and do what, do what a, a loving dad would be a dad, basically. dad, dad you yeah. know, or parent or, yeah, or, or, or authority figure, whatever nurturing shepherding, you know, it doesn't have to be dad, but in that role is I'm, I am a dad. I'm more of a granddad now, but yeah. So I think, uh, it comes back to what am I actually offering the people, not how are they responding? So I, mm. I think I've done really good leadership and people walked away from me and some really powerful, actually the most powerful people in the church walked away from me. Mm. And I've done the same leadership with more of awareness of my weakness and more people have moved toward me. And I'm like, you know, it helps that I'm in a university town because I've watched a hundred thousand people yell and scream their approval and love for a man because his team was winning SEC championships right. in football. And the moment he starts losing, I've, t I've seen them turn him into a despicable human being who's unworthy of any good thing. Yeah. And so I've concluded the crowd's pretty darn fickle and that most people relate. I don't want to say most people relate to the public figure based on what they're getting from the public figure, not based on who the public figure is. Yeah. So, um, Along those lines, um, one of the uh, conversations in the series, our friend Tim Kohler, who you've met my uh, colleague out here, yeah. we, he was talking yeah. about leadership being um, like a mutual relationship, not just transactional, but um, the role of the follower in that. How have you um, helped your followers, the people that you're leading and stewarding, if they want a king or they sometimes want people on a pedestal, you know, uh, uh, how do you shepherd and teach them what's a healthy relationship there between the celebrity or the, you know, to where it's like, yeah, right. I, you do it. There's a reality of your power and authority and your right. role. Right. And yet it can be unhealthy both ways. Yeah. Great. You know, those, uh, I don't know what they're called. I wish I had the title, but I don't know if you've ever seen like the, the sailboat races like they have on Lake Michigan yeah. and they have the, 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 and the boats that they put them at an angle. Yeah. Depending on where the wind is, they, they don't actually keep them level. They put them at an angle. So I've angled my leadership against it. Hmm. Uh, so from the very beginning, I, I perceive power 
as something I steward for the for the opportunity to invite others to share in that power. And so I've given it away. I mean, I've, I, I immediately was not the, the 50, 40 week preacher, teacher, whatever you want to call it. I, I found a, another person to teach partly because I didn't want to spend all that time doing all that when I could be leading and developing people. Um, I think some of the expect, the expectations on the mega speaker thing in American church is just like, Oh God, like this is, this is not going to end well. And so, um, you know, as the years have gone on, I've given away more. I've never given away the actual leadership point vision and the, like the, the final decision-making, but I've given as much as I could. And it's actually why I'm leaving because I've given away so much and developed leaders to the point that I'm the, I am now the limiting factor on my young leaders mm. and my church's growth. Mm. And so, uh, in that sense, it's, uh, you know, I, you have to get away from the idea that I've never actually thought of myself as the lead pastor of Fellowship Church. I've thought of myself as the steward uh, God entrusted to care for the church as a lead pastor for a season. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's all I do. Um, and I'm still shocked that it works. I'm shocked. I mean, I'm, I literally, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how this works because I'm a hot mess, you know. So. And then the other, so I, I, I just give, I give it away. I don't, and I think they also know I don't want it. Like I, I only steward that power for the purposes of their growth and development. I don't want to steward it for my purposes because it's not for me. I, I've got other ways to take care of myself. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I wear this ring on my uh, right hand. Someone, people always ask me, why are you wearing a wedding band on your right hand? I said, because I, I wear this to remind myself that I serve the bride of Christ and I'm not to seduce her, flirt with her, mm -hmm. need her, or do anything that distracts her attention from her husband. Mm. What do people so, do when they hear that? I think most people are like, I think that's cool, but it's not what I expected. No. And of course, I get really teary talking about yeah. it because it's my constant struggle to validate myself off of the body of Christ's mm. affirmation that doesn't belong to me. Yeah. Um, I have also the extra gift hands, you know, my back, like I, how, there's no way I get, there's, there's no way I should be doing this. Like I'm, I'm not have background. I don't have, you take most of my experiences until I'm in my late thirties and you can't, you couldn't take a string and tie the, you couldn't find the thread that got me to where I'm doing what I'm doing right yeah. now. And so I don't have this sense of climbing some ladder and of achieving. And I would actually say, because uh, I'm there in the process now of internally finding the next lead pastor. Mm -hmm. And I've told the candidates, if you want this job for the job, you're already in too much trouble. Mm -hmm. If you want to be faithful to the Lord and he asks you to do this in order to do it, that's fine. But don't be fooled by this. This, this, this will be harder if you do it well, it will it will take more than it gives, mm. and you will um, you will find yourself having to grow in ways you've never grown before with a lot of internal conflicts, which can be very redemptive. But it's a redemption story, not a success story. Yeah. And did you tell them save up your money for therapy and coaching and spiritual direction? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. Well, they've watched me do it, so yeah. I think they know. And, and and that's what my role is: staying at the church for a season is to coach because it's such a young staff yeah. and there's a lot of coaching that I can bring and, and experience and wisdom. But, um, you know, 
the, I think the first thing, Angie, is if you're in a role where you're finding your influence and power, I don't care where it is. You know, you're an author. You see your influence yeah, grow. for it, sure. It, it, when it happens, you're like, partly, thank God, I knew this was in me. I knew he wanted me to mm -hmm. do this. And I see the fruit of it. And I love the fruit of it. And then there's all these little things that get kind of laced in there with like pressure to keep performing or, or I could do that better. Or what if I did this or, and then that sense of like, well, all these people think all these great things about me and I'm actually just a pretty hot mess human being. Mm -hmm. So another way that I've protected my church is I've just had a lot of people in my life who knew who I really was. And I've often told my church, I don't, I don't, I don't tell them things that are inappropriate publicly, but I don't, I do not aspire to their, projecting onto me anything of celebrity or otherness or specialness or I have like I think that's the most detrimental thing I could do for them because one of the reasons celebrity works in American churches is so that people in the in the audience I don't call them the congregation the audience can have a vicarious experience with the speaker mm -hmm. of being spiritually alive mm -hmm. that way they don't have to take responsibility for all the stuff in their own life yeah wow and I just don't, I don't want to, I don't want to participate in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep uh, thinking, uh, um, I heard a story recently of a, a pastor in town was a friend was going to lunch with him and uh, he said, yeah, this is a, a, my friend, he's a student and the, and the, um, the student, but, but who's a pastor, he said, I'm not just a student. He told the, the wait staff person, I'm not just a student. I'm pastor of a very large church on the South side of town. That was how he introduced himself. Well, because it becomes your identity, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you, that, yeah, if you're not what, what do you need to do to not, you know, what would you tell that, that person? What would you tell younger leaders who don't, yeah. you're looking with the benefit of hindsight and having done a lot right. of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm trying, I'm just kind of going back through my files and things I tell leaders. I, I'm, you know, I'm a real proponent of we don't live. We're God has had zero investment in your human success story. He has given his son for your divine redemption story, mm -hmm. live in that story and those conflict, right? So which one do you fall to? When it all hits the fan, which do you fall to the success story to manage it or the redemption story to be transformed in it? Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. It's just, what am I doing here? What, what's the scoreboard for this whole thing? Um, you know, I wouldn't tell them this because I, you know, and I don't want anybody else to marry my wife, but that's a great idea. Like marrying her was the best idea. Yeah. Because she literally, I once said to her, you don't even care about my success. And she said, I don't care about your success. <laughs> I love you and I want you. I don't really care what you do with your world. Yeah. It's not that she doesn't care in something, but right. it doesn't, that's not the motivation. She doesn't get anything for one thing. She's as prominent or more prominent than me in a lot of places, but she just doesn't, she's just, she's not enamored with that at all. So surround yourself with people who know you and you talk to about who you are. Um, and you know, there's a, like, you can't hook a flat surface, right? Like you can, if, if you got a flat surface, you can't put a hook on it. Mm -hmm. It only works if you have a hook. Well, we all have these hooks that can be hooked by this pride, this power, this accomplishment, this uh, celebrity, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think 
the hooks matter if you're working on this. And so keep working on this. And that means you can't do it by yourself. You're going to have some, some kind of Sherpa, counselor, coach, uh, a group around you. And I have all those. Like I've surrounded myself. That's actually my I have people like you and Dave and other people who I, I gravitate towards for my relationships and my deep conversations because our relationship is rooted in years of history with mm -hmm. each other and walking through good, bad, and ugly together. And so then I don't have to, when I do the thing where I might be getting the, uh, the feedback that makes me feel special, I'm like, yeah, well, actually, if you knew these people, they would say something different, but they would also say something deeper about who I really am. Mm -hmm. And they do love and respect me. And so it's not just like I'm sloughing all that off. It's I don't have a hook because I don't need your affirmation. Obviously, I want to do a good job. Obviously, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with my church growing. I, for whatever reason, every I'm gifted for multiplying. It's what I do. I mean, I started a basketball organization and multiplied. Like what I do multiplies. Um, so I don't want to throw that gift out. Um, but I can't measure success by it because I don't control all those kinds of things. And yeah. some of the biggest things people build in Christendom are probably should never have been built to start with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Talk about, uh, you know, you also talk about like, there's the power of kind of the organization and the, th and the success you just have, you know, it's like uh, Joseph, you know, whatever the, he put his hand to God, God prosper. Yeah. There's also even like the personal, like you've talked about, I've heard you talk about, like going to an, into a restaurant and you could, uh, you oh, know, yeah. like all these perks kind of thing. So talk about I, some yes. of those experiences. <laughs> Here's a funny thing. So we went with our best friends, the Heinz is on a European river cruise. First time we've yeah. done it. Long time we've done it. And uh, I was at a particularly like leadership had just been hard for a season. Yeah. I was like tired. Yeah. And I said, the one thing I'm most looking forward to is not having to think about, talk about, I love the people. I love it. But this has just been a hard season. And I know I'll come back ready to go, but right now I just want to get away. And the boat had 127 passengers on it. And we, and we boarded in Geneva, in uh, uh, Zurich, Switzerland. So I'm like, you know, yeah, thank God. So I get on the boat and I drop my luggage off and I walk into the galley for the kind of the, the orientation meeting yeah. on the boat. And someone says, Rick Dunn. Uh. And she was from Knoxville. <laughs> from my, she'd been baptized at Fellowship Church. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. So, I mean, and part of that, she was living in another city. Part of that's because um, we are a young church and we send a lot of young adults and college students out. So there's a lot of people leave and go. So we are, our alumni is pretty large. And, um, and I want to say this, if she ever hears this podcast, she was amazing. She, we had a few conversations. I never felt like I was supposed to talk about church. I always yeah. thought they were felt personal and I always felt like she respected my space. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Some people don't do that. Right. Yeah. But yes, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I often go to the restaurant. The owner goes to my church or I go to the uh, event and I have VIP opportunities and things like that. And, um, but I, I don't get as many maybe as others do because the people know I don't really like it's not a thing I'm pursuing or yeah. I do like it when I can get reservations quickly at my favorite restaurant. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like that. Yeah. But I hope that's more out of just he knows me than it is because I'm, quote, the pastor or get, you know, and we're also I'm also in the South, which is weird about pastors and churches and yeah. 
the Bible Belt's different than other parts of the country too. So you have to be aware that there's some stigmatism or um, uh, projection onto that role that's yeah. like really unhealthy. And I just don't. One of the things I did, Angie, is I I made myself known in the community as a as an AAU basketball coach, and I spent a ton of my time building my relation. I spent I spend a ton more time with coaches than I do pastors. Hmm. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't traffic well in mega church pastor world. Um, I just don't think about the same things. That's not good or bad. I just don't, I traffic really well. I love coaches. I just think they're the best. And, and so that was also a thing I'm actually known. I remember this one kid was playing for a team. I was doing some rec basketball as well as AU. One kid came to church and he said to his dad, he said, What's my coach doing up there? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I think being a fourth graders rec basketball coach as your lead is better than mega church pastor down the street lead. I think it's a healthy play. It's fine that I steward this position. I don't apologize for it. I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm not ashamed of it, but it's not who I am. Yeah. Maybe all people with celebrity. Uh, intention or desire should spend some time on a middle school retreat and remember <laughs> where their place Because you know is. what? When you're playing the celebrity thing that's got its hook in you, it came straight out of your middle school experience. You're just playing out. Mm. All of us are playing out our middle school experiences and you're just trying to be at the, kid, at the cool kids table. And you just got to be careful because nothing wrong with the cool kids table, but it can really seduce you away from uh, you know, it, it, what, what is healthy also about it is, uh, it, it would, you know, it's, it's like a, a 16 year old, if, you know, you, their first time out driving, they have a pretty healthy respect for the typically of yeah. what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Sadly, sometimes by the time they're 18 or 19, they've lost that. Um, but I think of like when I gave my kids, like, yes, you can leave the driveway now by yourself in your multi-ton vehicle. Yeah. I just have to think that's what God feels like when I drive out of the driveway to go to work at the church. It's like, I just hope he remembers what he's doing here. And, and uh, also knowing that there is, I can, I cannot manufacture spiritual fruit and don't confuse lots of people Mm -hmm. liking you or wanting to hear what you have to say with spiritual fruit, because that's not always true. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, keep going. What do you, I mean, to younger leaders, who, when, because a lot of times I've seen and I've experienced, uh, you know, I'm in over my head or I'm, I'm just so not aware of the danger. I mean, you just kind of go on with the flow. This is what, oh man, God must be blessing this or, or um, it feels good. Or like we do, we're just not even aware of all that stuff to oh, even yeah, have yeah. a check. So, if you've got grounded relationships that, that will help check you. Yeah. And you have somebody that you're actually being honest with and you're choosing to be honest with it. So um, my wife's a sex therapist, among other things that she does. Uh, she also does trauma work and particularly sexual trauma work. Mm-hmm. So um, if I struggle with lust or I'm watching something on Netflix and all of a sudden I'm like kind of bought in more out of the uh, arousing than the content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm comfortable to tell her, hey, I'm just heads up here on things. I'm a little struggling here with, uh, and and that means something going is going on inside of me because I'm not drawn to that unless something, there's a hook, right? Right. 
So I, I would talk to my wife, but I will do the same thing when I feel seduced at church. And I, I'm sure people right now are like, gosh, this is very uncomfortable. We went from potentially looking at a nudity in a Netflix series to preaching at a church. And he's equating those two things. I'm not equating those two things. I'm saying there's a lot of, of uh, religious spiritual pornography that goes on mm-hmm. inside of leaders because you're meeting a need with that, that that's not designed to meet that need. That's not where that should be met. Yeah. That's to be met only with your, with your father, with your savior and with your community. And when you're, it's okay that it gets seductive. It's okay that you like, Oh, I got, ah, Whoa, I got to be careful there, but it's not okay. If nobody knows that, if you're not talking about that, um, you know, I have the opposite right now. I'm, I'm handing off the church, uh, four years earlier than I planned. Mm -hmm. And, and I told my wife, when I made this decision, I felt like it was from the Lord. I said, I've lost my exit strategy and I'm Angie. I've lost my exit strategy. And I'm building a lot of things for the future that I believe God's called me to, but it's proof. The proof of concepts kind of sitting there, right? Yeah. Uh, the gifting I'm, I'm confident of the ability, but how to do it. And so I find myself, uh, here's the familiar and it's seductive to me to go and get people to like me and like my teaching and still affirm me as a leader. So I don't feel so insecure and out of control about what's happening next. I got to talk about that. I got to, am I going to do that? I, 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 I talk to uh, the people who get on the platform. Cause I only teach like 10, 12 times a year. The people get on the platform. I talk to them all the time. This is the most seductive thing you're ever going to do. Mm. And um, you've got to talk about that as if in this, in the, and I start saying the same way you have to talk about your potential sexual seduction, but actually the way Christians, particularly Christian men talk about sexual seduction is so unhealthy and helpful. I'm going to take that away and say it differently. We got to find a whole new way, all of us, male and female, talking about those things that we try to find in the external world to meet what is only can only be met through an internal transformation with Christ and are only meant to be shared in the most healthy ways in conversation. So if you're a young leader and you're having no conversation about, man, that felt a little too, I actually love that a little too. I like that attention a little too much. Yeah. Or this thing's really growing. Now everybody in the community used to be I'd walk in a room and nobody talked to me. Now my church is growing. Everybody wants to talk to me. That scares me. That feels like that feels like I could buy into that falsehood. Um, because, Angie, inevitably you're going to do stupid. Like you're going to make a decision, say something, and it's all going to come down on you. And then if you've needed that, what you'll do is you'll hide all that's going on inside mm-hmm. to manage that so you can go out and get more affirmation and more attention. And all the podcasts and all the books and all the stuff, some of them were wolves in sheep's clothing. And some of them were just men and women who just gradually, gradually, gradually hid and hid and hid and hid until there was nowhere to go with it. And it worked its way out in some, yeah. cause they made a bigger and bigger hook. Yeah. And then something got it. It's always sex, power and money or money or all of the above something hooked them, but it wasn't the external thing. It's that they created a, an internal structure an infrastructure that was looking out there for that affirmation. And I'm at six. I know we're talking about young ladies, but I'm 62 and I'm scared mm. because I don't know what's going to happen next, mm. but I'm also hopeful. I'm more hopeful than I am scared, but I get scared. And when I get scared, it is tempting 
it is tempting to find some way of affirming myself with my big church and the power that I steward. And that act uh, numbs me from the transformative work that God wants to do in the fear. And so one thing I would say mm-hmm. to young leaders is where you're afraid and where your shadow side is, that's, that's, that's the best part. Don't run from that. Whatever you run from runs you. If you're mm-hmm. running from it, it's running you. Don't run from it. Run towards it. And the other thing, because leaders run forward, we're forward looking. So we run toward challenges. We run toward vision. We run toward goals. We run toward all the things. Your first step needs to be toward God at work in you and then move toward all that other stuff. Yeah. But just particularly the machinery of a big church and the pressures and the, all the stuff. It just, I mean, there's, you know, it's, if you're the lead pastor of a mega church, all right, since we're talking that context, you're stewarding millions of dollars, thousands of people, uh, spirituality, um, organization, um, vision, um, uh, administration. I mean, you got all these kinds of things and you can just get to the point where you're managing all that at the expense of your personal transformation. Yeah. And that was never going to end well, Angie. Yeah. Better to better to get out of it than to let that happen. But the two things that young leaders most struggle with is I'm supposed to know what to do and I'm supposed to do it by myself. Yeah. And the real answer is most of the time I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be faithful and I need a, it takes a village for me to lead. It also takes a village for me to grow. And at the end of the day, growing up into him is the whole point. So as long as I'm doing that, I think I can safeguard myself against the other. Yeah, I mean, I've oh, so many things to take out of that. I, um, yeah, I've, I mean, one I think is ruthless honesty internally oh. and externally. Um, yes, that's great phrasing. But that, but that takes time, and we're so busy doing the thing, writing the books, uh, pursuing the whatever. We, we're so even unaware of what's going on inside. I mean, we don't don't even value. So I think just valuing the time and making the time for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, uh, on our life reframe podcast, Lauren, I often talk about vulnerability. And one of the things I think she said this, that we are so drawn to vulnerability in other people, but we're so unwilling to enter into it for ourselves. And I would say, uh, let's flip that. Let's begin by really moving into our own vulnerability, offering it in the healthy not a, in an unhealthy, but a healthy way to the people that we serve and inviting them to their place of vulnerability because that's always where the spirit does its work. Yeah. I would say too, the other thing I say to young leaders is I've said this for years to them because I've handed a lot of things yeah. off. Never try to make the church work. Hmm. I, I know you've got to deal with administration and policy, but don't make the church work in service to growing people up. And if you can't grow people up and make the church work, then change the church to grow people up because there's nothing in the scripture that asks you to be accountable for figuring out how to strategically make all these things work. Mm -hmm. And the leadership models that I grew up in, you're younger than me, but you've been exposed to the late nineties and early 2000 leadership. Leadership was an, it's idolatry. Yeah. Yeah. It's idolatry. Yeah. You just, I mean, let's just name, you got to repent of that. I got me too. Like I'm not throwing stones. I have to do it all the time. But we're, we're, we're literally called to spiritually shepherd people. And it gets really hard because 
sometimes to spiritually shepherd people, I have to fire someone. Yeah. And I hate that. But how do I do that? And what message do I communicate? Is it like, you know, this, this, is it just like, hey, given where we are, given where we're trying to go and given where you are and who you are, this is not a really good fit for what we're trying to do. And I do think I have some legitimacy because I fired myself in paperwork. That's right. I went to the elders. <laughs> right. The mission is being held back by me. You can't see this. You think I'm advancing the mission. I'm actually holding it back. Let me help you find a pathway to a new mission and then let me serve you in whatever way I can. And I'll figure out what I'm going to do after that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think there's legitimacy in the practice of that. But, but at the end of the day, if, if you're, if you're waking up thinking, am I, is the church growing? Am I making it good? And all that kind of stuff. That's why I don't look at attendance. Cause I just don't want to know. I just, I don't, I mean, I want to have a general feel, but I don't want to count this number and that number and that number because it's just, it's not telling, it's not the narrative I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm looking for who's stepping forward to serve, who's finding transformation. And I can't eat, I mean, baptisms are great, but you don't know. Like I'm looking more at life change kind of things. Yeah. And that, and so it's got to start with me and my st- and the staff. Yeah, yeah. I think of Roy, you know, Roy Williams when he was coaching Carolina. They don't look at the scoreboard, look at what's going on on the court. And, you know, if you're doing, take care of the things, maybe at the end the score will, oh. you know, be in your Always. favor. So, but, it's, but let me say this. Yeah, go ahead. Well, can I say this? Yeah, for sure. You talk about podcast leadership expertise. You just worked in a Roy Williams reference. That is really <laughs> impressive. Like, that was like, I did not see that coming. Well done. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Well, yeah, that's, that's my hallmark. I have to work in Carolina basketball or something. And yeah, Dave always I'm works in like a Star Wars reference into his sermon. So that, yeah. And like a, and an impression of someone. So, but what, Go with what, you know. what you're talking about is so countercultural though. There's the whole, the idolatry of it, of the, of the fran I call it the franchise of leadership or of celebrity. Yeah. There's the whole lure of it. That's the, it, the taking the time, doing the work, the going toward the pain. I mean, all of that is going the opposite direction of what well, the flow what, is going. Yes. And so perhaps the culture might want to just take a deep breath and listen to what he said. The Gentiles lord it over as authority. We're not going to do it that way. Yeah. The Pharisees want the place of highest honor. We're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. Yeah. We're going to we're going to be faithful to the Father's redemption story because that's the only story here we're going to change the narrative um which may mean our churches aren't as big or maybe you know i I, I, first of all okay uh i'm i lead a big church i believe that there's a place in the kingdom for large churches as resources as kingdom resources i think there's a place for them i don't think there's a place for many of them but if i were a young leader I think it would be fair to look at my generation as a whole, not individuals, not being sarcastic, not being, but how's that working for you? How has the mega church movement helped shape the culture? And what I would say is it swallowed the Kool-Aid of the culture and the culture shaped it. And that's why leadership became an idolatry. And um, I don't know why Angie, I, happen to walk into these kinds of spaces. And I also want to acknowledge I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, like 
good preaching, good worship, a big parking lot, and a good kids program will draw a thousand people tomorrow. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not in Rhode Island. Yeah, like Andy Stanley so says, I just need a band. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. just give some perspective here on yeah. whatever we're talking about with me. And as my good African American brother Matthew said, Hey, Rick, if you want to go somewhere where people don't know you, I got some places in East yeah, Knoxville where I, I live. Nobody knows you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, we need to fix that, Matthew. And we talk about that. What's the white response Because uh, uh, to uh, our, our African-American community in Knoxville? Because they tend to be segregated from yeah. larger suburban churches, right? So you wrestle with those kinds of things. And you, and, um, but I just don't think, I don't think, I've never seen a church do anything. I have seen the church, the body of Christ, uh, following through the spirit, Jesus's mandate and vision for the father's kingdom. And I've seen a lot of amazing things happen there, but let's just do that. And if it learns out to be big, okay. If it's small, okay. I also, I would just say, I, I, this is, they can take the, your listeners can take us what's worth. There's a lot of danger in just kind of flipping it the other side. And saying, well, the micro church is really God's strategy. There is like, just no, you're going to get in the same, you're going to get in the same boat. And quite honestly, we've got so many young church planters going out there planting on their own that we're paying off the emotional debts of mega churches right now. We're going to pay off the emotional debts of church planting. If people don't Mm. invest in the lives and marriages and families of these people, instead of just throwing them out there to lead something that's really hard. So that's my soapbox. Yeah. The strategy and methodology is not the point. It's the heart. Yeah. The lure of power is unique to the larger church, the larger setting, the larger you know venue. And that's kind of what we're talking about. But at the end of the day, I've only found one thing that actually works, and that's surrender. Yeah. And I don't think the that's lure of power, I don't know that, I mean, I... I... You said the lure of power, you know, unique to the uh, however you said to the big church, and I think it's just a yeah. different type of lure. That's a great way to say it. Because I mean, yeah, because I mean, I'm not the pastor of a mega church. I wouldn't. I'm, I'm not. I'm barely church famous. You know, my books or people yeah. say. Friends said, yeah. "Who at Denver Seminary is, is famous?" I'm like, ah, "Define famous." Said, well, church famous. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, um, so it really depends. But I've seen. I've seen the same behaviors in solo pastors in a small pond. I mean, it's not the really even the size of the pond. It's a different nature. But I think the lure is still to power or to or getting your needs met uh, by those yeah. strokes, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the uh, we have an operating system in our flesh that. Here's what I would say. We just did a podcast on this called Mental Apps, and I talked about this part of things. Is that uh, we are we're all we're all powerful people, Angie. We're made in the image of God. We have these passions, these insights. We all have a certain kind of genius. Some of that genius gets monetized by the broader culture. Some of it doesn't. That's not. We all have different things that we do. That we, Dave is, has your husband has certain things. Teresa, my wife, has certain things. You have two boys. I got two boys and a daughter. They, they all, my three grandsons, they all have their own unique power and strength and beauty and wonder and so much to offer in the kingdom. But we have this operating system of the flesh that says, you've got to be God of that. And as soon as we become God of it, we diminish all of its true beauty, power and strength. And we turn it into something that's about ourselves and feeding ourselves. But when we surrender that and say, you know what? 
I'm actually not going to be God of this. Do what you want to with it. There's so much more freedom there. And at the end of the day, it is it is the the false notion that there is some kind of external celebrity thing that's going to fill this. As a matter of fact, often those are why you find the crashes is because a person's gotten to the thing they above beyond what they ever dreamed of and it doesn't satisfy anything. It just it's like drinking it's like being in a life raft and drinking salt water. Mm -hmm. You think it's gonna help, it's actually gonna kill you. So yeah. don't drink it. Drink the living water and you'll be fine. Yeah. Wow. So good. Man, Rick, I love our conversations every time. Me too. I know. It's been I know. Nice. Whether we record them or not, I know. I, love it. I know. Exactly. And yeah, next time we got to do it in Knoxville or Denver uh, and do it in person. Sounds so, great. yeah. Really yeah. Nice. Thanks well, just Angie, for your thank wisdom. You for, yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for your voice and for creating this podcast. I, uh, I often say to my leaders, hey, read this book Angie wrote or do this. And it's not because I'm trying to make you church famous. <laughs> yes, um, right. It's because uh, I trust your voice. Yeah. And I think right now in the moment we're in, you're trying to gather some trusted voices mm -hmm. and offer them uh, is very hope filled. And so thank you for having that hope and believing in that and gathering those voices. And it's fascinating you know, when God's going to, here's the cries of the Egyptians. He raises up Moses, mm -hmm. you know, he raises up Ruth. He raises up David. He raises up Mary, the mother of Jesus. He raises these people up out of the most obscure, unexpected places. And what I would love for you and I to have as our legacy, I'd love to raise up some of those voices. Yeah. Not for you and I to be the Moses or the Ruth or the yeah. Mary or the David, but they're there. For sure. And they're, and, and we should be full of hope that God is raising those people up. And I think this podcast will help do that. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. Yeah.